Heavenly Father, thank you for being a good and gracious God who's always at work in everything for our good. Lord, you are perfect in all your ways and you are all wise. You you know how to accomplish your purposes so that they're always good for us. And bring you great glory. So Lord, we trust that we're here today and we're in this passage because of your wisdom, because of your goodness, because of your love for us. And we ask that, Lord, you would take your word and you would sow it into our hearts and you would change us. That you would help us learn to apply the gospel to our lives in the context of these relationships that you have given to us and the ways in which we relate with one another. And Lord, we know that this takes a lot of wisdom. And so Lord, would you give us this wisdom as we look at your word this morning? And would you breathe some grace into our lives and into this church through the way in which we do community with one another? Lord, it's our desire to honor and worship you in all things. And so Lord, would you enable us to do that this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we uh, just finished up our new members class, meaning we, we just finished up the four weeks where we talk about what church is like, what we believe um, as a church, and, and kind of how that, that functions on a day-to-day basis. And it's, it's a real sort of just overview of, of what we believe. Most of you have gone through that class, and some of you, it's been a while. I, was, I tell this class, this class goes through four weeks, and if you've been here for a long time, uh, you probably remember the 13-week class we used to have. I mean, when I first joined a Sovereign Grace Church, it was 13 weeks, and so every Sunday we sat and we went through at least an hour of just looking at different doctrines and key features of the church, and it was really good for me at the time, being uh, a new believer and having no idea really what the church was and and how it was to function, and so I, I learned a lot. During those 13 weeks, it was a, a means of God's grace, but uh, for some reason over the, the course of almost 20 years, that, that's been shrunk down to about four weeks, and we, we fly by things. And so I had the opportunity to teach two, two of those classes this year, and one of the things I always tell um, people who are in the new members class, there's, there's a number of things I tell them, but one of the things I want to make sure I get out there quickly, out front so everybody knows kind of what they're jumping into is that we are not a perfect church. And I try to drive that home as much as I possibly can because a lot of times we jump into things and and there's like this, we just love this. Everybody here is just so friendly. And I would say that that's an evidence of God's grace in our church. I would say you do relationships really well. One of the, the marks I would say of God's grace in the life of this church is the way in which you care for one another and the way in which you sort of bring others into your life. Meaning you you don't have these little clicks where you kind of close off your life from other people. You you just do relationships well. It's just evidence of God's grace in this church. You make people feel welcome. And they're not superficial relationships either. These are, these are, I would say, real relationships whereby you share your life. You actually have fellowship 
with one another and you invite others into that fellowship where you just share your life and you share what God's doing in your life and and there's something really attractive about that. Because it's God's grace. And it's a gift that he's given to our church. There's a lot of things we do well as a church, but I'd say one of the things we do really well is just that. And that's just, I'm grateful to God often for all of you in the way in which you do that. And um, I just want people to know, though, that we're not perfect. And I kind of begin this message by sharing with with you all, just reminding you as well, is, is we're just not a perfect church. And the reason we're not a perfect church is because this is not heaven. And there's no such thing as perfect relationships this side of heaven. And I'm going to say that over and over again this morning in this message because it's one of those things I feel like we sort of slide back into. And it's a phrase I've learned years ago is where we kind of slide back into having this over-realized eschatology where we think we can ultimately obtain here today what ultimately we just get in heaven. Meaning you get a, you get a perfect relationship in heaven. You get a life without sin in heaven. But when we live here today as we wait to be in heaven with Christ and with one another forever, what we get and what we have are people who have fallen short of the glory of God, who've been redeemed by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But sin still remains in our lives. And sometimes that surprises us. It surprises us to the point where we, we, we get into these relationships with people and we think they're, they're one way. We think they're perfect. And then all of a sudden they do something or they say something that annoys us or offends us. Or they do something to not live up to that perfection that we've seen in them. And then, and then relationships begin to separate because that's what sin does. Don't, can we just agree on that? Sin separates separates us from God, it separates us from one another. And then can we just agree that, that sin just remains in our lives? If you've been married longer than a day, you, you realize that. I, I've, I probably share this a lot, but I think about it all the time, doing premarital counseling and, and then watching people get married and they, and they make these vows and they say all these wonderful things. And I believe every single one of them. I'm going to love you till death parts us until either you die or I die in sickness and health and all these things and we're just gonna have we're gonna have the best marriage ever and life together is just gonna be perfect and 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 then life happens kids happen and then you realize wow sin really remains in our lives and you have to wrestle through these these hard things together and and you realize that it's really this process Every single day, this, this process that the Lord actually calls sanctification. And so it involves a whole lot of sin, a whole lot of difficulties as we relate with one another. But this isn't just a marriage message. This is about doing life together in the church. And, and what I want us to know is, is this is not a perfect church. And relationships in this church are a gift from God and they will challenge you. And God has some things that he wants to teach us and and show us in regards to how we do these relationships. And so this this is going to be sort of a very practical message. But one of the things we need to understand is that the gospel has brought us into these relationships. 
So Christ died for us to save us, and he's brought us into this relationship with God where we've already learned this morning we get to draw near to God because of Christ's blood being poured out for us. But Christ also died so that we could have these real relationships with one another, be united together through faith in Christ, and walk out our lives together, and also learn how to relate to one another with the gospel as we walk through hard things together. Because you will. That's what another thing I tell people in the church. We're not perfect, and you will be offended at one point by somebody else in this church. And you're going to be confronted with an opportunity to take the gospel and actually apply it to your own life in how you relate to that person who's maybe sinned against you. Or maybe somebody whose weakness sort of just frustrates you because you don't know how to deal with it. Or you're going to learn how to take the gospel and apply it to your life so that you're patient. So I would say one of the, the main things about our relationships with one another is that, is that patience is key, isn't it? Because you can't change people. The Lord changes them. And he calls for us to walk alongside folks as they change and as the Lord changes us. And so this message is about us living life together in the context of community. And I would say not a perfect community. But I would say this is a really good community. So this isn't meant to be corrective in any ways, but it is meant to be instructive in the sense of a reminder as well as just equipping us. How do we relate to the person sitting next to us? How do I relate to my spouse when she or he is is doing this? Or how do I relate to one of the leaders in the church when they're acting this way? Or how do I relate to somebody when they're walking through a really difficult time? And they find themselves sick or they find themselves hurt and and they can't do certain things that they used to do. And and the Lord just, he has real specific instructions for us as a church in regards how the gospel applies to us and how we do community together. So what we're going to learn is that a healthy church is a church that intentionally pursues relationships with one another, especially hard relationships. So we're going to look at Uh, five ways in which we can intentionally pursue and relate with one another. In our first point, we learned that we are to admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. 1 Thessalonians, again, 5, 14, he says, and we urge you, brothers. Now, when he says we urge you, there's there's some urgency there. There's something that he sees going on in this church that, that he can't just say, I suggest that you might do this. No, he's, he's urging. And when we read that, the Lord is speaking to us pretty strongly here. It's not, it's not a, if you want to do this, you can do this. No, he says, I urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, the idol encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to the one to, uh, to one another and to everyone. So again, Paul's not asking the Thessalonians to consider doing these things. He's exhorting them to sort of act quickly with discernment towards the people in their church. And first of all, he exhorts them to admonish the idol or to correct the unruly and disobedient people in the church. See, the church is just going to have disobedient people in the church. The church is going to have people who are idle. 
people who are unruly and disobedient to what God has called them to do. And here, Paul just refers to them as, as idle. People who are deliberately walking in some sort of sin and disobedience to God. They are the ones who are lying, stealing, cheating, committing some sort of sexual sin, being disobedient to their parents, gossiping, slandering, and or creating all sorts of division in the church. And it's, and it's being done repeatedly, sort of without, without a repentant heart. It's just something they're, they're giving themselves to, not sort of actively seeking to pick up a cross and follow Jesus, but instead actively seeking to disobey the Lord and sin against God. They are problem people creating all sorts of problems for everyone else in the church. And they're affecting the church's witness in sort of a negative way. And the way in which we're called to relate to these type of people. And I would say we sort of all find ourselves in this category at some time. So it's not just how do I relate to that person? I also want us to be thinking about when I'm in that situation, how should people be relating to me? We relate to them in a sort of kind and very clear way in which we correct them. It says, admonish the idol. See, we're not simply to ignore them and hope that they sort of change on their own or that they'll just simply go away. We're called to love them. We're called to intentionally pursue the idol, and help them by clearly correcting them, showing them the error of their ways. You see, sin is deceitful. I'm sure we all could stand up here and and share story after story of of sins that we've just sort of allowed to remain in our lives because we we feel like they're not as bad as, as maybe somebody else thinks they are, or we can find ways to sort of justify why it's okay to do certain things. It's just the nature of sin. Sin is deceitful, and many times we find ourselves caught in a sin, and it's very hard to see that sin. And when it's hard to see a sin, it becomes really hard to repent of that sin all by ourselves because sin just, it blinds us. It lies to us. It tells us something that God has told us no to, and it tells us that it's actually good for us. And so we run after those things, and we continue to pursue those things, And God has helped us in those situations by placing us in the context of a community. And so, as brothers and sisters, we're called to admonish the idol. We're not called to ignore that when we see that. We're called to kindly, lovingly seek to help a brother or sister who is idle by bringing some admonishment, by bringing some clear correction to them. See, he... That's where I love God's wisdom. And whenever you hear me talk about God's wisdom, you hear somebody talk about God's wisdom, just you got to think about God is the all-wise God. He is wisdom. He, he always has the best possible way to accomplish his purposes. And those things never get thwarted. They don't, they don't somehow change. God always accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. And in his wisdom, he's called for us to walk out our lives together in community with one another. We need one another for this very purpose. That when we find ourselves being idle, we have a brother or sister who's, who's going to lovingly pursue us and correct us to help us see our sin 
so that we might not live in that sin, but that we would turn away from it and turn back towards trusting in Christ and following Jesus. And just sometimes it just takes help, persistent help from other believers seeking to help an idle person. As God's wisdom. And so we need to act. We need to pursue. And again, I would say this takes wisdom. Sometimes, sometimes that wisdom is just sitting back and seeing how this person's going to respond. Sometimes Matthew 18 applies in situations like this where, where you might go by yourself and then you might take another brother or sister with you and then you might tell it to the church. And the whole point of that is so this brother or sister would repent. And see the error of their ways. This is God's wisdom to us. But the point here is we go. We go. And I I would also say this since we're talking about correction. I think we need to be careful for our own hearts in these situations as well. Careful in the sense of thinking we, we see all and we know all. If that makes sense. And so it's quite possible to correct somebody in a self righteous way. Not leaving room for that person to talk. Does that make sense? And so that's, that's where I think wisdom is needed. And we pray and we trust the Lord for it. But the point here and what Paul's saying, you see somebody who's idle? You see somebody who's put down their cross and they've stopped following Christ? We have a responsibility as believers to come alongside them and admonish them. Warn them. That's not the path you want to walk. That path doesn't lead to eternal life. That path has actually walked away from Christ, the one who has the power to save. You're, you're actually trusting in somebody else. And then encourage them to pick up that cross and follow Jesus. That's the beauty of communities. We, we do this together. And the second point, we're exhorted to encourage the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted are people in the church who are discouraged in their faith and feel this sense of hopelessness which leads them to want to give up. Which again, I would say, that would be all of us at some point in our life. And if you're sitting there thinking, that's never been me, I'm just saying you just haven't lived life long enough. I'm not saying that to discourage you, I'm just saying we live in a fallen world. Life will not always go the way you want it to go. I'm constantly reminding myself of Romans 8 verse 28. Just that God is at work in all things for the good of those that love him. I love that verse. I hope you love that verse. Just so you know, God's sovereign. He's always at work in everything for the good of those that love him. Everything. See, I struggle with that at times when things don't go the way I think they should go. I don't struggle with that verse when, when things are, are going great for me. But when, when I start to mess up or, or something in my life brings in a little bit of suffering and it gets hard, I have to go back to that verse and just be reminded, okay, Lord, you're at work in my life for my good I don't think this is good at the moment, but, but I'm not the, the sort of judge of what's good. You are God. I have, to, I have to fight through that because when things don't always go my way, I just get discouraged sometimes. And say, you probably do too, or you will. 
And what Paul's telling us here is, is when you find that person who's discouraged, you find that person who's, who's wrestling with joy, maybe even a little bit of doubt, Lord, is it worth it to pick up that cross? Because this seems really hard. Paul would say, encourage them. He didn't say correct them. He said, encourage them. Build them up in the faith. This encouragement can look like a lot of things. Chuck Swindoll wrote about this gift of encouragement and its purpose this way. I didn't didn't give anybody any notes this week, so don't blame them. You can blame me. He said the following. He said, the gift may be wrapped in an affirming word, a gentle touch, a smile, or a shoulder to lean on. It may simply be our presence. Too often we isolate ourselves like strangers in an elevator. We feel uncomfortable even making eye contact or speaking politely to one another. In the family of God, though, these things must be different. Let's free ourselves to touch one another, particularly the discouraged who need to know someone cares. That's really what it's like when somebody's faint-hearted, and discouraged, they're, they're, they're not going to be corrected out of that. I would say 99% of the time, correcting them out of that's not going to be helpful. Sometimes it is. But I would say we probably want to learn from what God is teaching us here that we're called to encourage the faint-hearted. We're called to build them up. And, and a lot of times that just looks like, it can look like eye contact. It can be one of the most meaningful things to somebody who's walking through a very lonely season in their lives is for them to kind of show up on a Sunday and it's taken everything they got to show up. And when they walk through the door, they're greeted with a smile. That may seem like the smallest things and maybe insignificant to you. But when people are hurting, discouraged, just knowing that somebody else is there with them, is encouraging. Just being present. We talk about this, I don't know, almost every Sunday when we gather together with the ushers or in some context. And I've been trying to hammer this thing home all year, just how important it is for us to encourage one another. And, and not really to, to take for granted the power of, of encouragement, coming alongside somebody and, and letting them know the good news about Jesus. Encouraging them that that God is for them. And he's not against them. Well, how do you know that God's for them? Well, because he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And if he would do that for us, surely, surely he cares about what we're walking through, right? But just looking to build a culture of encouragement because at any moment or at any point, we can find ourselves discouraged faint-hearted, wondering if the Lord even cares about what we're walking through. So I want to challenge us again as a church. Let's build a culture of encouragement. Let's, let's look to encourage one another, to build one another. Let's, let's look for, for meaningful ways just to communicate the love of Christ to one another. Looking just to, to build one another up. 
share a story. I think I shared this years ago, but one of the darkest days I've ever had of being a pastor here in this church. This was a number of years ago. We were walking through a ton of different stuff as a church. I remember just sitting in my office and just crying out to the Lord, Lord, what in the world's going on? Like ready to throw the towel in. Like this, it's, it's just not worth it. And then we get the mail. Yeah, that's like comes to the mailbox and you open up a letter and I open it up, and it's, it's from a person who used to go to our church. And the Lord had just placed me on their heart, and they sent me this letter. And I just sat there, and I wept as I, as I read this thing, because the Lord just knew at that moment in my life, that's what I needed. Just to be reminded of God's grace. Not just in my life, but God's grace in this church. Encouragement just sort of, it just lifts people. The third thing we're called to do is to help the weak. The weak here are people who are either physically, spiritually, or mentally in need of ongoing help. David Paulson said it like this. He said, the weak have marked limitations. Like an infant or disabled child, someone whose handicaps mean that the possibility or likelihood of significant change is low, they may always need help. So when he's talking about weak, we're called to help those who need help. Those, in a, in a real sense, that, that can't fully help themselves. And so, again, we, we live in the context of a community. There, there's just going to be weak people in our church. You will be weak at some point in your life. When I turned 40, I got pneumonia. Couldn't, couldn't even get out of bed. Found myself in, in just need of help. And the Lord provide that help through this church because we're called just to, to help the weak. And so if you think you're never going to be there, you will. You may fall out of a tree one day as you're trying to help somebody. And then find yourself as being the person who needs the help. It just happens. Because this isn't heaven. And so there will be weakness. There will be weakness in your life. There will be weakness in your family. And there's going to be weakness in this church. And by the grace of God, we're called to come alongside and help and serve and persevere in serving those who need help. I would say of all the, the relational ways in which we're to relate to one another, I would say this is probably one of those that requires the most sacrifice. Because it means we're going to give up time. It means we're going to give up resources and things that we have that we could use to better our life. But, but helping the weak means we're called to be generous and we're called to be sacrificial. and We're going to be giving to build up and care for our brothers and sisters who need help. If we're going to continue to be a healthy church, then we're called to continue to help the weak. And this leads us to our fourth way in which we should relate to one another. And that's for us to be patient with everyone. First Thessalonians 5.14, again, he says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul knew himself just how difficult it is to live life with people. You know, just, just the reminder that, that we need patience. We need the Lord to fill us with his spirit so that the the fruit of the spirit would grow and that that patience would be present in all of us because relating to people requires patience. 
a whole lot of patience. And you can add endurance to that if you would, if you'd like, but just relationships require patience. It takes patience to walk with someone who's slowly repenting and changing. Ever notice that? Did you ever notice that? Like God does not change people according to our timeline. He, He didn't change you that way either. Repenting of sin and turning away from it. Sometimes there's those things where it's just like, yeah, I gave that up and I walked away from it. And that's just a a miracle and we attribute that to the grace of God. But as we continue to grow and as we continue to to mature in our faith, what what we really begin to see is is that the change process takes a long time, doesn't it? And one of the things I wrestle with, honestly, is I've been a pastor for this long and I've been thinking about the gospel and I I think a lot about counseling and situations and and I know you and you guys know me and and I I just think how much do we really change I mean there's a significant change you go from being dead to being made alive in Christ so I'm I'm not talking about that that's significant I'm talking about those little quirks and personalities and the way in which God has made us where there's just things about us that that are those pockets of sin that sit in our lives that the Lord sort of is walking us through. And so some of you might be an angry person, but you're not as angry as you used to be, but that anger still shows up, right? Or some of you might, might be a little loose with your tongue where, where when you got saved, it significantly changed, but, but it's still something you're battling. You know what I mean? But I, I think about that just in relation to, as I watch us all get older, I just think there's, there's change and it's, it's, it's evidence of God's grace, but there's just things in the way which God has, has made us that just, that just take a long time and will never be finished until we get to heaven. Because we're in this process of sanctification and perfection doesn't happen this side of heaven. And so knowing that, we're called to be patient. Patient, trusting that God really is at work in all things. Those little things that you see pop up in your kids' lives that, that you just want the Lord to change immediately. Part of that is the Lord, Lord will change that according to His purposes and His time, but He's also going to use that for your good, to help you grow in your faith, trusting that He's at work in them. And he's helping you to grow a lot of times in being patient. A lot of times in being patient. I, I just think about ways in which, let me, not me, let you think about the people that God has placed in your life at this moment. I guarantee you're going to find pockets of people that you just relate to really, really well. You agree with me? Like you're just probably best friends with them. They get you, you get them, it's easy And then I'm going to bet there's probably a pocket of people in your life that maybe annoy you a little bit. Maybe maybe you just don't get, they don't get you. You try to talk to them and and it doesn't quite work very well. And so you try and then even when you try a little bit harder, maybe you offend them sometimes. That ever happened to anybody? If it doesn't, I'm saying go get other friends. Because they exist. They just do. There's just people in this life where I like, sometimes I just think we're having a conversation and now I've learned to just kind of sit back and I want to listen to how this person thinks about it because it makes zero sense to me. 
It doesn't. Like, it really, my mind works that way, and I'm thinking about it. I think about it this way. I might communicate it in a certain way, and they look at me like I'm dumb. And then I look at them, and I think, why don't you get it? And for some reason, we're just not connecting. Well, what do you do in a situation like that? Well, one of the things we can do is just be patient. Like, at this point in my life, and it's taken me 40-some years to get here, where I finally just realized the Lord places people like that in our lives to help us actually grow. To help me see something that I can't see by myself. And it's quite enjoyable when you allow for the Lord to work in that way. It's a little bit frustrating. I'm not going to lie to you. But it's because I'm not growing. And I would say it's because you're not growing. But the Lord calls for us, be patient. Patient with everyone. Be patient with the person who's not repenting the way you want them to repent. Look for little evidences of grace in their life. Be patient with the weak. When you've got to sacrifice over and over and over again. And, and you've got to help them. And you're just thinking to yourself, you should be helping yourself at this point. But the Lord's calling you to be patient as you seek to help the weak. Patience is really important. When you lack patience, you will run in. And I would say most of the times you'll end up hurting somebody. Because you'll, you'll run in with your own self-righteous sort of attitudes and judgments, thinking you're right and you, things should be done this way. And, and the Lord really is just saying, just settle down a little bit. Wait. Be patient. This leads us to the final way in which we are to intentionally relate with one another. We are to seek, this is number five, seek to do good to one another. Verse 15, he says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to anyone, good to one another and to everyone. So if somebody slanders you, should you slander them back? If someone gets angry at you and calls you all sorts of evil things, should you yell back at them? If someone tries to hurt you, should you hurt them back? What if somebody in your community group has a party and they invite most of the community group over and they intentionally don't invite you? When you have a party, do you think you should invite them? See, this is where the, this, these truths apply in those situations where we, we think about how should we respond to people and when I think people, don't think outside of this church at this moment. He's talking to the church in Thessalonica. And, it, and he's, he's trying to help them relate to one another. And he obviously perceives that there's probably going to be an issue. As, as people gather, they're going to begin to relate to one another. And, and somebody on this side of the church is going to say something mean to somebody on this side of the church. And what he's saying is, is the way in which we know the gospel and apply the gospel is the person on this side of the church shouldn't return evil for evil. There's, there's all these other things. He can immodest the idle. He can help the weak. He can encourage the faint-hearted. But, but what he's saying is you can do those things, but you may not return evil for evil. We don't slander the person who just slandered us. Instead, we seek to do good to one another. And then he adds this word, and to everyone. So the gospel frees us to trust God for the relationships we have, and it frees us to do good to who? 
to everyone, especially to one another. And I would say this takes a little bit of wisdom here. And the reason I sort of pause in this is because sometimes we may think, well, this is for their good. And you might be captain correction. This is for his good. He just needs to hear this. And, and it, the, his good, might need, he might need encouragement. Or he just might actually need a friend. Or he might just actually need help. But we're called to do good. You see a brother or sister in need, we're called to do good. You see an opportunity or a need in the church, opportunity to serve somebody, that, that's doing good to everyone. We're just, we're just called to have these eyes that look out at the community with all of its diversity, all of its difficulty, and do good to one another. And that's going to look different in, in different situations, but, but it's not bad, it's good. It's meant to be good. It's meant to build up somebody's faith. It's meant to build relationships up in the local church. I just say this. If, if you have a bad marriage right now, or you're wrestling through difficult things, I, I would just say, look at verse 15. When your spouse does something you don't like, or something you perceive as evil, Remember these words. He says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So when you find yourself in that conflict, and there's these, you know, I don't know how you guys fight. I'm assuming you fight. Some of you might be yellers. Some of you might, in the, in the battle of the fight to get what you want, sometimes, sometimes spouses resort to yelling. But not you guys, right? Sometimes there's these things we call words in the wind. You know what those are? Those are those moments when you just lose all self-control and you, you say things. And the reason you say it is because you want to hurt them. And so that sometimes happens in marriages. Sometimes happens in friendships. Let's not be surprised by those things, but I want to challenge you in those moments because when sometimes that happens in our relationship, we, I like to fight back once in a while. But the Lord's calling us not to repay evil for evil, but instead to do good to everyone. And it takes a bit of self-control to do that. But can you imagine what your marriage would look like if you sought to do good to one another in the midst of your conflict? Or parents, as you seek to raise your kids, and, and sometimes, I'm not going to lie to you, they could be evil, and I'm not talking about my kids. They can just do evil things. Imagine responding to them in those moments by seeking to encourage, build up, love, to do good to them. To actually trust that, that God's word is his word and that it's going to accomplish his good purposes. Instead of trying to control it the way we want to control it. Instead, let's, let's trust the Lord that he's called us and he's, he's saved us and he's poured out his spirit upon us. That when people seek to do evil to us, we, we can trust the Lord and not return that evil. But instead seek to bless them. Can you imagine what that would do and how it would shape a church culture? What that might do to unbelievers as they come into our midst or as we get an opportunity to engage them. 
it just has a way, the Lord has a way of using it to work on people. I'm going to close with a little bit of a story. So I have an opportunity to engage a lot of our neighbors. And I know most of my neighbors and most of these neighbors are unbelievers. There's this one neighbor that the first time I met this person was just mean. Mean, like knocking on her door and like wouldn't come to the door, finally came to the door and it's kind of like a go away. But I've had the opportunity to know this neighbor now for almost two years. And this person has gone from like just being pretty mean, and she's mean to most people, to being very kind. And what I've learned over time is I've had an opportunity just to be kind to her and to serve her in in just different ways is that a lot of this sort of meanness has come from being misunderstood in some ways. And I would say from living a very lonely life all by herself, but, but over time, looking to serve and care for this person, not just me, but other neighbors also jump in and do this, sort of worn her down, and God has used it to really soften her heart. That, that, that's what the Lord does. Did you ever notice when you're fighting with one another, and, and you, if somebody yells something and you yell back, that usually doesn't de-escalate anything, does it? A hug does. A soft answer, good in this context, quote-unquote. It, it has that power. The Lord works through those things. And so, church, seek to do good to everyone, especially those in the community that God's called us to live with. Relationships are really important in the church. And if we're going to have a healthy church, if we're going to have healthy relationships, then I want to encourage you with this. Keep your eyes on Christ. Remember that he died on the cross for you. He gave up his life so that we would be saved, that we would be forgiven, that we would be brought into these right relationships. Let us pursue Christ and let us pursue one another intentionally with the love of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your son Jesus dying on the cross for all of our sins. I thank you for your spirit that you pour out upon us. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to fill us with your spirit, that you would bless us with the power of your spirit and the fruit of the spirit, that it would grow and manifest itself in all of us, in all of our relationships. That you would help us to encourage and build one another up in the faith. That we would intentionally pursue one another for your glory and for one another's good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, May the Lord bless you. May he pour out his spirit upon you. May you have a blessed Sunday.